Good morning, First Prez. Good morning. Oh, look at that. That's so nice. Well, whether you're right here with us in person or whether you're with us online, my name is Bryce, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I get the honor of welcoming you into the service. We're so excited that you would spend part of your weekend, part of your spring break, even this early, super early, it feels like to me, uh, Sunday morning with the time change, way to make it here. You did it. Congratulations. You are the holy few that have made it online or made it in person an hour kind of early. So well done. But if you are new and you're with us uh, online or in person, you'll see that there's a QR code on the screen or one up on the wall. We would love you to scan that. It'll take you to our website where you can fill out our online connect card, and it'll help us to communicate with you should you want to be connected with. We would love that. And also to our friends who are uh, with us online, we would love you to share our service. That way more and more people get to hear the hope of Jesus. That This just goes over and over and over again all over the internet. We would love this service to be shared with as many people as possible. Well, here at First Pres, we're always looking for opportunities to create real relationship and offer real transformation. And with that in mind, would you please join me in prayer? Lord God, thank you so much for this service. Thank you for Sunday. Thank you for a day you set apart for us to worship and to breathe and to take a moment and remember that you are God and we are not. Lord, I just pray that as we enter into this service, that you would guide us, that you would direct us, and that you would really help us to lean in and know what piece of each message is just for us and just for the people that we love. God, we give you our best and we expect your best in return. It's in your name we pray. song about a year ago. It's called Sea of Victory. And we were singing it then and we're singing it now. And we'll be singing the song for a long time, I feel like, until Jesus comes back. Uh, because this is the victory we have is in Jesus. So let's uh, stand and sing the song together. Sea of Victory. I know how this story ends. 
goodness to us, we have the unbelievable privilege of celebrating the baptism to little John Rollins' sample this morning, and so I want to invite John's parents, Katrina and Robert, to come forward, bringing little John with them, and as you come forward, I'm going to invite John's godparents, Lauren and Stephen Warnicky. Lauren is Robert's brother, sister, and um, I want to welcome the family as well, uh, Carmelita and Bruce Reagan grandparents and also John and Sherry Sample and Uncle Preston and all kinds of cousins everywhere too. So we're just grateful and excited. Baptism is a celebration and we're celebrating at least two things in baptism. We're celebrating at least two things in baptism. The first thing we're celebrating is that Jesus is the king of the universe. The second thing we're celebrating is this. We're his people. That's what's going on here today. It's a symbol and a real thing, a celebration of God's goodness in Jesus Christ and our belonging together to him and to each other in a family of faith. Mm -hmm. So Katrina and Robert, as you bring little John for baptism this morning, do you claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If so, say we do. And will you promise, with God's help, to teach John about Jesus? Will you pray with him? 
Will you pray for him? Will you read scripture to him and teach it, him what it means to have a relationship with Jesus? If so, we will with God's help. And all of you representing the Church of Jesus Christ, will you promise to come alongside the Sample family so that as together we can help grow this little fella into understanding what it means to have a relationship with Jesus so that one day on his own, John will be able to say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to belong to him. If so, say we will. fun, isn't it? So, John Rawlings Sample, Child of the Covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You got that? You like that? Yeah. Yeah. I get to have him now. No, I don't want to give him up. So when we discussed this, I said, oh, no, 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 I get the kid next after that part. <laughs> Come here, buddy. He doesn't know you from Sam Hill, but that's okay. And do you look like your daddy? You do. Now, I, Kathy, I, Kathy and I have been friends with his grandfather and grandmother and all his, his, his father and mother and everything for a long time. And I want you to look online, get a good look at him online. And <laughs> go, Knowles, look. Look yeah. up there. <laughs> okay, so here's what we're doing next. Uh, you can't see me online, but that's okay. you got to cut me a little slack here. Check it out. Uh, the John Rollin Sample. Rollin is his maternal grandfather's middle name. John is his paternal grandfather's first name. Huh? Is he great? Here's what I love to say about babies. He didn't make this decision. His family made it. But we have three, four generations of faith stacked up on top of each other. And that's how it works. Remember, we're celebrating that Jesus is the king of the universe, and we're members of the family of faith. And one of the things we do is enjoying growing it in little ones like this. And I can't wait to hear you say those words for yourself, little man. Mm. Amen. How about that? Congratulations, you guys. Congratulations. Good morning, my name is McLean Murphy and I just wanted to tell you all about a couple things that are coming up. The first is we are in our fifth week of Lent. If you've been following along with us, last week was a struggle. We gave up social media. I got a lot of text messages from people saying how meaningful it was to fast from social media for one week and how God opened up opportunities for them to be drawn closer to him. And so this week, we are fasting from excess shopping. So eating out, Starbucks, a quick Amazon Prime delivery. This week, we are denying ourselves of the easy conveniences uh, so that we can draw closer to God in this. So we invite you to participate either all week long or on Wednesday. The next thing I am excited to tell you all about is we are planning for our Easter service. 
Easter, thank you, I like a little woo. Easter is on April 4th. We are going to have two services, one at 9 a.m. and one at 11.15 a.m. We hope that you received this postcard in the mail this week. If you didn't, that means we don't have your mailing address. But on here, you got all the fun information about our two services, one of which is that we are going to be opening our online reservation system on March 22nd. So mark your calendar. March 22nd is when you can go in and make a reservation for either the 9 or 11.15 service. We're going to have a Buddy Brew coffee truck on campus. There's just a lot of fun things we're going to get to do to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Another piece of that is we are in the habit of filling the stage with beautiful Easter lilies. And if you want to make a dedication to someone with the Easter lilies, you can find that form online. We also have them in the narthex. So as you walk out of church today, you can grab a postcard to invite a neighbor or a friend. And you can also grab an Easter lily form. Thanks. So we call our first prayers outreach to those who are hungry and homeless, Matthew 25. Because in Matthew 25, Jesus said, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was naked, you gave me clothing. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. And when I was sick, you cared for me. And his followers, the disciples, looked at him and said, what are you talking about? We never saw you naked or hungry. And Jesus said this, whenever you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it for me. So as a result, our Matthew 25 ministry partners twice a month with Tampa Bay Street Medicine, made up of USF College of Medicine doctors and students, in order to offer healthcare services to those who are homeless. Because of your compassion, because of your generosity, and your selfless service, 40 at-risk, vulnerable men and women received the COVID vaccine and the love of Jesus through this effort. You can see it pictured here on our sidewalk. Friends, here are five ways that you can continue to give back to God with the love of Jesus. And God bless you for it. We're going to stand back up and sing this, these next two songs. Let these songs kind of uh, resonate with you. The, I like to close my eyes sometimes when I worship. It's not because I don't want to look at you, but it's because I'm worshiping the God who made me. And it helps me to do that. It may help you too to close your eyes on these next couple songs. But the first song is called Alive and Breathing. And Matt Marr wrote it. He said that it helped him unfreeze him when he wrote the song. And I really feel that when I sing it, it helps unfreeze me too. The one I wrote is after it. It's called Jesus, I Give You My Heart. And I wrote that one to help me move forward, and I hope it's going to help you move forward in this time as well. So let's sing these two together. What holds your heart? What stirs your soul? What matters come to mind? Who cares you keep? The thoughts you think? 
it's not always the time seeking you will find joy still comes in the morning hope still walks with the hurting you're still alive and breathing praise the
I swore I wasn't going to do it again, but I did. Kathy and I refinanced our house. Now, just for a little history, we, we built the house in 1988 in the year of our Lord. That's a few years back. You follow what I'm saying here? And I'm not going to tell you the price because when I tell you what it was, you're going to go, man, that dude ain't paying no taxes because it's way low compared to what the same house would cost today. But anyway... Decided to refinance my house 11 months away from having it totally paid for. And you're thinking, Fitz, you idiot. Why did you do that? And I'm not real sure why. But here's what's going on. Kathy and I decided that we were going to redo our kitchen. Have you redone a kitchen lately? So we, we refinance. Now, now, I consulted with the person that does our taxes, and I consulted with the person who's sort of a financial advisor, and money is cheap, and so borrowing the money is cheaper than whatever. So, yeah, we decided. Now, so we're going to spend some money redoing our kitchen and a couple other things, and um, I'll put it this way. This is going to be my coffin kitchen. Now, no sooner than I said that, I already know that, you know, don't make a promise you can't keep because I swore I wasn't going to refi. I think this is the fourth time in 32 and a half years we've refinanced that house. Huh? Anyway, the question that I started asking myself is, have I been duped? 
And this now is a serious question. Is there some kind of secret master of my life? So, of course, I would say to you, who's the master of my life? And I would say, the master of my life is the person we're celebrating today. It's Jesus. But the the probing question we're going to ask ourselves today together is, is it possible that there are ma- a mas- that there is a master or there are masters that are kind of secret? And we're going to have courage and we're going to have guts and we're going to ask ourselves the question, is that operating in my life? Am I serving something other than the almighty God of the universe with my trust, with what it is that on which I have built the foundation of my life, the footer, or you could call it the ground? On what or on whom is my life grounded? That's the question. And so I'm playing a little bit about refinancing, but here's what I think you all know. When we ask ourselves the question, what really matters in life? Ask yourself that question. What really matters in life? And you may like Kathy and I have and are continuing to do, you may have built your home into a really lovely and beautiful place. You may have done that. Great. But here's what I think is true, and my guess is that you know it's true also. This is what I think. This is what I've learned. A gorgeous home is worth nothing when compared to having a healthy and loving family that lives in it. That's the challenge today. We're going to do that kind of math about what it is on which or who it is on which we build the foundation, the trust, the footers for our lives. And we have been in this, this letter it's called Philippians. That's, it's the city of Philippi. It's in northern Greece. And this man named Paul is in jail. And he writes a letter back to these people who are friends of his. And he wants them to do the same thing. He wants them to examine the things on which they built their life. Some of them may be secret. They don't even know themselves. And he wants to say, let's not do it that way. Let's do it this way. And Paul, what Paul is saying is that contentment, joy, good life is built not on those external circumstances the quality of my kitchen it's built on something entirely different and so we have this key verse and here it is for you Philippians chapter 4 verses 12 and 13 Paul writes this I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Paul's talking about the secret sauce of a flourishing life as a follower of Jesus. And what is it? I've learned the secret. Whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or whether I'm living without a lot, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The secret sauce, Paul's saying, is somehow the footers of his life, Paul is saying, somehow the foundation of his life, the ground of his life, is not 
anything other than, nothing more than, but certainly nothing less than Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. That's where life gets built. The secret to contentment, to joy, to a sense of flourishing in life is not all of the things that are externals in life. And oh, we're, we're, we're tempted. I'm tempted. I don't think I'm alone, but I'm tempted to let other things sneak in as if they can somehow give me contentment. And so Paul is saying, that's not it. He's saying it's about Jesus. So just to make a couple of things clear, that's chapter 4. We're going to jump back in just a second to chapter 3 and read it. But before we do that, I want to explain to you a little bit about what this document is. If you have a Bible in your hand or your phone and you're looking, this is not really a book. We call it the book of Philippians, but it's not a book. It's a letter. Paul is in jail, and he writes a letter to his friends. And depending on where he's in jail, it's anywhere from two to 700 miles away, and it's the way folks communicate it. So it's just a regular, ordinary letter, except it's not ordinary because this letter gets picked up and used by people of faith, and we discover that God had breathed it through Paul. This is God-inspired. And that's what we say about the whole collection. But here we have this letter. Now, another cool thing that you probably didn't know is, when did the numbers get put in there? When did it get divided into, quote, chapters and verses? Because we've looked at chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. It was just a regular letter. And originally, when it was written down, you may find this to be interesting, Paul probably didn't write it with his own hand. He had someone there working and would listen to him, and they'd write. That's likely to be the case, because occasionally he says, look, I'm signing it myself. It was on a, a piece of the back of a piece of sh- a sheepskin or a papyrus, and they, there were no paragraphs, no punctuation, no indentions, because you, space was, was sacred in terms of space on the paper. And so the numbers were added, listen to this, 12th century, 13th century, 14th, 15th, just recently. And I don't, there's nothing wrong with the numbers and chapter headings. They help us. But this is what I want you to do. Hear it as a letter. And in our discussion of the book of Philippi, the letter of Philippi, we've been saying, read it out loud. Read it to your dog. Read it to your kids. Read it to your friend. Read it to your spouse. Read it out loud. Why? Because that's how the first encounterers of it encountered it. They read it. They heard it read aloud. They didn't have books. There was only one copy. And the only way to get your hands on it was to go to a place where people were reading it and somebody would stand up and read it. So that's what we continue to do, reading aloud, and you're going to be asked to read aloud again what comes next, Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, which come from for next week. It's a letter. And look, we're jumping back into verse, then chapter 3, and look how it starts. Paul says, further, my brothers and sisters, celebrate in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to, excuse me, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. He had already said once to celebrate. He's saying it again, celebrate. It's no trouble for me to write this to you, and it's a safeguard for you. Let's stop for a minute. Paul's talking about celebrating? Really? He's in jail. And even more, friends, there goes one of the, that's not, that's a sample grandchild, but that's a Warnicky. Paul is thinking about his future. 
And there's a sense in which Paul's anticipating the possibility that he will be executed. So he's writing to friends. He cares for them. They care for him. And he's saying, celebrate. And why is Paul celebrating? It's because of the same thing I said a few minutes ago when we held John Rollin in our hands. Paul is celebrating, the people in Philippi are celebrating, all the people who've ever heard this letter are celebrating, you and I are celebrating this day because we've exposed any secret master of our lives. And what we're celebrating is at least two things. We're celebrating that Jesus is the king of the universe and that we're his people. That is the secret sauce to contentment, to joy, to flourishing life. That truth, which Paul celebrates, exposes anything posing, anything trying to dupe you, dupe me into thinking something can give me flourishing life because nothing can other than Jesus. That's what Paul's trying to say. And so with all of these horrendously difficult circumstances right in his face, including the possibility of execution, Paul tells his friends to celebrate because they've bound themselves together around the person who can unify them, who is Jesus, though they're broadly different. And Paul himself is bound to them and to Jesus, and so that's worth celebrating. And so Paul writes these words, celebrate, and then he wants to give them a little help, so he's going to caution them. He writes this, watch out for their dogs. Don't worry, he's, he's not against dogs. Watch out for those evildoers. Watch out for those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, we who boast in Christ Jesus and who, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Give me a second and I'll help you understand what's going on here. Watch out, watch out, watch out. What Paul's saying is there are people out there trying to dupe you. There are people out there trying to trick you into thinking something can give you what you need to have your life grounded. Here we're talking about the religious culture of Judaism. And so this word circumcision comes up. And so circumcision was the chief sign that you had done all the right things. And the, watch out, watch out, watch out. It's repeated three times. And the thing about dogs is, he's not talking about my little Tally who's at home, my sweet little Shih Tzu. She's a beautiful little animal. She's a nice little puppy. I love her. She weighs seven pounds. Don't say anything bad about her or we're going to have a problem. He's not talking about our pets because dogs weren't pets in that culture at that time. The way that Dogs kind of ran around and they were vermin and whatever. And so the dog was a, was a very substantial um, criticism for Paul, a negative way of expressing. So he's saying these people are trying to dupe you and it's really unique to the Jewish culture. You got to go through this ritual including this surgery, in order to be okay. And Paul's saying, no. And what Paul says is, those of us who celebrate the fact that Jesus is king, those of us who celebrate the fact that we're his people, we are in fact what circumcision is about. We are bound in a loyal covenant love to God. That's what that thing meant, that external sign, that external surgical procedure. It meant you were bound to God, except it was superficial. And what Paul's saying is those of us who are Jesus' people, we're the real circumcision. And then he stops and he says, oh, by the way, look at that last line. I have a bunch of reasons to brag 
about why it is if we're going to go to externals, if we're going to go to things, I can brag more than anybody. That's what he means when he says, I have reasons for confidence. Confidence that I have a huge list of things that I'm great. My status, my pedigree, my resume. And now Paul gives us his resume, the next couple of lines. If someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, and again, he's playing with this idea of circumcision, but what he really means is the things that we put on our resume, the things that we use to gain status, the way we think about pedigree, he's talking about that. Human constructions, what Paul's saying, you think you got a list? Watch this. And then he rattles off the things that make him what he calls the Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, I have more circumcised on the date, on the eighth day. Check, good Hebrew boy. Of the people of Israel, check. He can trace his ancestry way back. You know, I, I was thinking about ancestry.com or whatever, and Kathy and I gave it to each other about two or three years ago, and we did it, and it came back, and I forget what I am. <laughs> Not Paul. Oh, it mattered. We have a hard time relating to this ancestry pedigree because it's not the way we think about who we are in this anywhere near the way this would have been. But for Paul, it would have been all the center of his sense of meaning for himself. Is that he can trace it back. So he says, circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a really, really important tribe inside the, one of the twelve. So see, he's really checking the boxes and digging way back. And then he summarizes, he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And then he jumps a little bit and he says, and in regards to the law. And what he means about that is all the rules that a person needs to be able to show that they're living by in order to be a really, really, really good Jewish person. 613 rules. Not 612, not 614. 613 rules. I promise you, Paul had them memorized. He could recite them. He knew every one of them. If you read the 39 books of what we call the Old Testament, you can glean 613 rules out of them. He knew every one of them. And he's, he's saying, find somebody who's, who's followed them better than me. Good luck. You're not going to find them. They're not there. Paul is putting himself on the top of the heap of people who claim that they have all of these things on which you can base or ground or build a foundation for how to have a flourishing life. Paul's saying, I've done more than anybody. I'm more pure, more right, more good than any of you. And he keeps going, he says, a Pharisee. As regard to the law of Pharisee, the Pharisee was sort of like a guild inside, and those were the people who were supposed to know the rules and follow them. He keeps going, as for zeal, okay, so I'm, my ancestry, my knowledge and understanding, and then zeal, how zealous am I about my faith? I'm so bit zealous that when this Jesus movement thing started, I went after them. I persecuted them. I chased them all around the, the eastern Mediterranean, all over the country. He hates checking all the boxes. Again, here's my resume. Here's my status. Here's the stuff on which I built the ground, the foundation for all of my life. Faultless as for righteousness in the law, he says. Now watch this. Paul's going to cook the accounting books. That's what's about to happen. He's going to mess with the books. 
because look what he says next. If all of those things were on the credit side of the ledger, if you do anything with accounting, I don't, but I know you have credits and you have debits. If you got all those things Paul just listed about his status, about his pedigree, about his zeal, about his actions, put all those, these are things, check them off, that, are, that I'm good at. He's really got nothing in red ink on the right side. It's all pluses, all credits, no debits. But look what he does. He messes the books up completely. But whatever were gains to me, all of that list, I now consider loss for the sake of Jesus. He upside downs this thing. He takes all of those things and throws them over on the other side of the ledger and makes them red ink. Paul's saying all those things are red ink when compared to Jesus. Now, he's not saying, friends, that they don't matter. He's not saying they're not helpful. But he's saying those things can't and aren't the center, the foundation for my life. Let's, let's just stop and see if we can relate to that a little bit. Think about the way that you and I might be tempted to be getting duped. I mentioned my house. I was playing but of course, I'm not playing. Is it possible that secretly, somehow, I depend on the quality of my house for something about my security? There's nothing wrong with having a house. But let's push it a little further. Let's think about what is it that we're tempted to use as the foundations for how we sense flourishing in our life, goodness in our life. Well, I'll per personally for me, it would be things like my status as a professional person, maybe you can identify with that vocational achievement or accomplishment. Maybe it's just sheer money. Maybe it's how much money I've managed to accumulate. Maybe it's prestige or honors that you have earned. And, and maybe it's something about your relationships. Maybe your sense of yourself, maybe you're getting tricked into thinking that your children's success is the thing on which you should build the footer or the foundation for your life. Or maybe it's how you feel you're viewed by peers, maybe informally, just in informal circles, but maybe it's in your volunteer work, like how am I viewed if I'm a part of my kid's school and I'm on the PTA board or whatever? How am I viewed by others? And all of those things are sneaking around. And Paul's list was very different in the first century than ours is in the 21st, but oh, it's the same dynamic. We're getting duped. We're getting tricked. We're getting bushwhacked. We're getting waylaid because we're, we're secretly trusting in stuff that simply can't deliver. Here's another way we could say it. If I depend on my vocation and my money and my status and, my, and my, the way I think I'm viewed by my peers, here's, here's one of the things Paul would say. Who's in jail potentially facing execution? Okay, house, I'm in trouble. Save me. Can my house rescue me? No. Can Florida State University rescue me? No. <laughs> I'm way too I'm way too emotional about this. We lost a baseball game and a basketball game yesterday, and I was in a funky mood about it. Can it rest? Does Florida State University care about me? No. Of course not. That's not a criticism. It's just a reality. Can the things that we're tempted 
to have be the footer. Can they really save me when I'm in trouble? And if they can't, move them. Here's what Paul's saying. It's not that they're bad things. What happens is they become the center. And when they're the center, oh, we're in trouble. Then, this, then we're, they're the center. They can't deliver on what Jesus can deliver on. They can't rescue me. They can't transform me. They can't make me a fulfilled, content person. They're good things, but not if they're at the center. See, only one thing can be at the center. And you know what I'm about to say. The thing is not a thing. It's a person. It's Jesus. And all those other wannabes have their place to play. In fact, God wants to use all of them as our way of loving other people. That's, the, that's their role. That's the proper role for them. But they're terrible gods. But they're great servants. And that's what Paul's trying to say. And he, he keeps saying it over and over again. I'll, I want to finish reading this little chunk here and the, the accounting. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He says, knowing Jesus. Now let me make sure you understand that. He means intimate relational knowledge. He doesn't mean knowing about Jesus, although he knows a lot about Jesus. What he means is relating to Jesus. When Paul uses this, as, this word know, Paul is also a person who reads and can speak Hebrew. And he's just translating a Hebrew verb to know into Greek, the Greek language. And it's about intimate relational knowledge. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying... I am in a transforming relationship with Jesus. That's what matters the most. And all this other stuff can get used. But those other things don't love me. And those other things can't save me. Only Jesus can do that. He continues with his funny accounting. I consider them garbage, he said, that I may, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness that comes from the law. In other words, not having my relationship with God be based on that big, long resume that I built. Instead, it's just faith in Jesus. The righteousness that comes from God, the being right, comes not from that list, not from the resume, not from your pedigree, not from the status that you've built into your life. All good things, but that's not what makes us good with God. It just means trusting Him. It says here, on the basis of faith. That means through faith, you and I are attached to Jesus Christ in a real relationship, a transforming relationship. We're a part of Jesus' people. And the next thing you know, life starts to really blossom and flourish. But it doesn't mean circumstances are good. Paul's in jail. But flourishing happens for Paul in jail because he's built his life on Jesus and not on all of those external factors. And look how Paul finishes this part of this letter to these people. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. See, even the desire to want to want God pleases God. God it's God is standing there, not expecting you and me to get 613 rules right. God has this big, wide, open hug waiting for us to intimately engage. That's what God wants from us. That's what God wants for us. There's a sense in which 
Paul's writing also maybe his obituary? Think about it. What is the last thing he wants people to think about him? That I want to know Jesus. Wouldn't that be great that Paul was clever enough to, to be giving us a resume only to flip it on its head and at the end of this part of his letter say, here's what really matters to me. And if they take me out, say this about me. He finishes, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the power of his resurrection. What he's saying is, I want to be so close that I continue to be transformed by him. The power of Jesus' resurrection is what made John Rollins' sample come alive in a new way this morning. You made a commitment to be a part of the power of the resurrection to help John Sample grow into owning his faith for himself. The very fact that you and I are in this room or online worshiping, it's the power of God at work in us, making us alive again in a new way, helping us to have the courage to push aside any secret master, any wannabe king, any wannabe lord, circumstances notwithstanding and there we become people who want to know Jesus that's what Paul is saying has happened and look he keeps going I want to participate in his sufferings now what we've said every single week is the meaning for this this is not masochism Paul's not saying let's get me out in the middle of the street and let people just beat on me or hit me no that's not what he means he means set aside my interests and desires in order to go and serve the interests and desires of others it means giving, sacrificially. Go and do something for somebody else. And we've said it every week, and we're going to keep saying it, because the secret sauce of knowing Jesus includes living like Jesus did. And what did he do? He gave everything. His life, Jesus did. So one of the ways we can experience contentment is to be people who think about the needs of others, setting aside, therefore, our needs for a time being, so we can go and help somebody else flourish way more satisfying than any material thing. That's what Paul's saying. And so I want to become like Jesus in his death, self-giving, and so somehow, so that I can attain the reward, the resurrection from the dead. That's what Paul's trying to, that's what Paul's trying to help us understand and Paul's trying to help us see. Paul wants you and me to be willing to do what he's done Notice what he did. I'm not asking us. He's not asking us to do anything he didn't do. He put the big list up on which he had built his life as a de and depended on. And he takes it all and sticks it over on the other side of the ledger, cooks the books so that now the, thing that's only, the only thing that's a plus sign is Jesus. And the rest of it, if we think we're going to use it to make ourselves okay, it's red ink. And that's what Paul wants you and me to do. I want you to do this. I want you to read three things. I want you to read out loud. This letter, read it to your kid, read it to your spouse, read it out loud to yourself. I want you to read it out loud over and over and over again. And particularly, the slide comes up and shows you this coming week's beginning today, this afternoon, the next chapter, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Just read them over and over and over again. Put into your mind these unbelievably God-breathed, God-inspired words. Do it several times. Read it to your dog. Read it to your child. Read it to your friend. Read it to your wife. Read it to your husband. Read it out loud. I want you to do that. That's thing one. Thing two is, I want you to take 
a long walk or go sit somewhere where you're not going to be interrupted and have an honest conversation with God, Almighty God of the universe, you have included me in your people, and I want right now to have a truth talk with you. Is there something that's a secret master that you want me to admit to you? Am I building my sense of life on something other than you? In other words, has, has one of those things kind of sneaked over, duped you, and gotten itself in the center of your life as if it can somehow love you back? Because things, we don't love things, we use them. We love Jesus, we use things. Including status, including honors, including prestige, including rankings. So have the honest inventory kind of talk with ourselves. That's the second thing I want you to do. The third thing is who is it that you're being nudged? Who is it that you're being beckoned to, to go help, to serve? We just keep doing it over and over again. My guess is that you're already doing it. And this is what I want you to do. Say, yay, celebrate. God has given on me a place where I can do something for somebody else. Celebrate it. Because that's what we're told to do in all these circumstances to celebrate. He starts in the middle and he finishes with us celebrating. Why? Because Jesus is the king, the Lord of the universe, and we are his people. What a great thing, my friends, that a loving, almighty God whose arms are wide open wants you to have an authentic, transformational relationship with him. And he wants to help you move anything out of the way that you might have been tricked into thinking can give you life. Allow me to pray for us. Gracious God, we, it's just so easy. It's easy for me. I've been duped over and over again, tricked. But, oh, I want you to expose anything portraying itself as a centerpiece in my life. Anything parading as if it can be the ground or the foundation. It's only going to be my relationship with you and my relationship with your people. There, that's the ground, that's the foundation. Those are the footers on which we flourish when we grow our lives. Help us to celebrate all the good that you've done in our lives, all the great things we have. We are high-capacity people in this room, and it makes all of this even harder because we have so much talent, so much ability, so much accomplishment. And gracious God, help us to use all those things in service to you. Help us to make the purpose of our lives bigger than our own end. So we thank you that you love us just the way we are. And we come into this room just the way we are. But we're very talented. We're capable. And we want to use all that you've given us in such a way that you would love other people with us through these things. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus, the one on whom we build our lives the one who is the king of the universe, the one who is the reason for the celebration. Amen.
take the 